All I can say is I'm not a racist. I don't, uh, I can't uh, tell you how sick I am. I apologize again to, to, to D. Smith, um, but I feel good about who I am and what I've done my entire life. And uh, I apologize for the insensitive remarks. I had uh, no, uh, you know, I, I, I had no racial uh, intentions with those remarks at all. I'm not like that at all, but I apologize. I don't want to keep addressing it. Hello and welcome again to Chino y Chicano. I'm Matt Chan, the Chino. I'm Enrique Cerna, the Chicano. It was in uh, mid-October that John Gruden resigned from the Las Vegas Raiders after it was revealed that he had written some uh, really nasty emails, very homophobic, uh, misogynistic, a side of John Gruden that I think People were surprised, but I think maybe folks within the the football game and professional sports, not so much, because it seems uh, we're finding out more and more these days that with coaches, that seems to be part of the uh, MO. Maybe for the coaches that are a little bit older, maybe not so much for the ones that are younger, Matt, but, uh, you know, for John Gruden... Uh, his football career seems to be over. I mean, you never say never and that it's over. These people rise from the ashes, you know, still covered with muck, right? But somehow forgiveness is one of those American traits. But, you know, for me, I it's taken a while, but it's it's like professional sports are having their Black Lives Matters moment, right? Not only John Gruden, what has been revealed there, the New York Times had detailed those emails uh, that were pretty awful. Oh, yeah. Another investigation going on of the Washington football team owned by Daniel Snyder, which has really been a shit show for a long time. And uh, Ron Rivera, there, the coach, I think he's just doing what he can to try to deal with the situation. And I think doing pretty well. And now we have the owner of the Phoenix Suns and uh, word that uh, toxic atmosphere there. He has a black coach. Uh, and who has said that, you know, all of this has been pretty surprising to him and he's going to wait and see what what the investigation of the owner uh, brings out. But you're right. I think this is a Black Lives Matter moment for them. People have overlooked the dynamics between players and owners for a long time just because the players are compensated so well. But the power differential and the dynamics are no different than it was from the plantation south. All right. You know, I mean, those days, I mean, the attitude is still there of the white dominant culture, you know, ruling over these people. And people look the other way because these people make millions and millions of dollars, generational wealth. But the dynamic and the values still remain the same. Right. And they're willing as owners to pay so much money to many of the players tough for them to come out. And they may know that the coach or the or that the owner in this case uh has this side to them, but they don't want to say it because of the fact that, you know, hey, they make a lot of money. Well, yeah, but they say, you know, the fish stinks from the head down. And and <laughs> and they're... So I hadn't heard that okay. one. That's a good one. <laughs> and, and they're sacrificing, you know, the coaches and all the other stuff at the altar to keep these guys enriched. But, you know, like anything, it will have its moment. The NFL has done a particularly good job, considering 80% of the players are black, to kind of show that maybe... The NFL badge is a symbol of wokeness. Well, that's bullshit. It plays well in the time, maybe. Yeah. That, that's why they, they've done that. Because let's face it, they could have done it a long time ago. I mean, there's one word, right? Kaepernick. There you go. Well, we're going to talk to Kurt Streeter. Uh, 
He writes the Sports of the Times column. He has a particular interest in the connection between sports and broader society, especially regarding issues of race, gender, and social justice. Let's turn now to our conversation with Kurt Streeter. Kurt Streeter, welcome. Good to have you joining us here in Seattle, where you live, even though you work for the New York Times. Uh, That's a pretty good gig. Nice job, huh? Not complaining one bit. When you heard about the John Gruden emails and everything that came out about that, were you surprised? In uh, in one sense, I was I was surprised because I don't think anybody thought uh, you know John Gruden. I, I did not have the reputation of somebody that would be you know, saying the sorts of things that he said on on the emails and his in his casual banter uh, that was caught off air. Uh, he's been such a face for the league for so long, from the time when he won the Super Bowl, coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to as many years as an analyst on Monday Night Football. I mean, you just certainly didn't think of him in, in this way. But on the other hand, I, I'm not surprised because, uh, you know, we've seen over the years that people's public personas and their private selves, that can be two different things, particularly on the on the race front. And particularly when we're talking about issues like homophobia and all, all, of the, all sorts of the thing, misogyny and all sorts of the things that sort of were exposed in these emails. The NFL now is nearly 70 percent black, right? As far as the players. Do you think any of those players were surprised? Uh, I think there probably are some some players. Again, it's sort of like uh, what I was saying. I think there are probably players who are who have been very close to Coach Gruden and don't see him and are surprised that he would have that side of, of him uh, or, or at that side of him. But I would be surprised if there are African-American players in the league who are who are shocked to find out that there's a sort of two-faced quality among uh, <laughs> some of the uh, higher ups, particularly white higher ups that and, and non-African American higher ups that they have to deal with, and and just in daily life, it's just a, there's a wariness that you develop, I think, as an African American in this uh, society, and that uh, you know you're always kind of on guard for this sort of sorts of thing to happen because sometimes it happens in your personal life, sometimes it happens in your professional life. It could be your neighbor, it could be so many different things that were were this sort of thing, not, maybe not necessarily regarding emails, but you find out that somebody has very different different ideas than what they've been showing you uh, personally. Uh, from, you know, that, that, that's a commonplace thing. You know, much has been made of the fact that it's the Raiders and the Raiders who've had that image of the renegades and the team, you know, led by Al Davis for so many years that challenged the NFL. Al Davis was much about inclusion. If you look at the record of the fact that he had hired the first black coach, Tom Flores also as a Latino coach, uh, Jim Plunkett as a Latino. A lot of people didn't know that he was Latino. He had a track record for uh, inclusion. So I suppose that that was the one thing that shocked people, the Raiders of all teams. And and you have this guy leading the team. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. That's a, that that is a part of the of the story, no doubt. That 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 surprise that an that an institution or an organization that has a pretty remarkable track record in in terms of, of its inclusion and also um, you know, having female executives at the at the very top ranks um, in every way. I mean, the fact that they were in Oakland for so many years, which is one of the more more you know, diverse cities in the country, uh, very diverse fan base. Um, certainly Al Davis was, has been known as being progressive. And I think his son, Mark Davis, is, uh, who, who owns the, uh, the Raiders now, is, has a similar sort of track record. But I, I don't think that, 
I'm willing to bet that uh, Mark Davis was fairly blindsided by this. It just goes to show you how how tough this sort sorts of sort of thing is to root out in our society, and even well-meaning people, even well-meaning or, and organizations that have positive track records can, you know. Is, can end up hiring people like this um, yeah. and not well, and unknowingly. I don't think that they knew. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's heartening to me that Mark Davis actually acted as quickly as he did. Cause I mean, the guy is like a clown, right? I mean, the haircut and all the other <laughs> stuff. I mean, let's face it. You look at him, you can't take him seriously, but I got a lot of respect for him. The fact that he stepped up right away, you know, and then the 24 hour cycle, he did his homework and made the decision. So, you know, haps off the, well, like rugs off to him or whatever his hat is, whatever that thing on his head is. It's kind of a friar. Look, I don't you know, know what yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. So, hey, Kurt, <laughs> yeah. hey, Kurt, have you, have you met John Gruden over the no, years? No, I don't cover the the NFL um, extensively. Uh, I never have. So, I you know, I, I kind of pop in and out of that world. Um, and the coach that I know best is Pete Carroll here in, here in Seattle. And I know him from really my time uh, in Los Angeles when he was a coach at USC. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I know from what I know from my colleagues, he's got a pretty solid reputation. So. Football has a real interesting racial dynamic, right? I mean, a lot of the star players, a lot of the strongest players are black players on the field, you know. But if you go to like the South and those stadiums are filled with white people that probably would never invite any of those players to dinner, right? I mean, they root for them. But when it comes down to, to ra racial kind of lines and stuff. You, I kind of get where they're going to fall. And so it's always been an interesting dynamic to me that you have the players on the field and you have the fans, but they don't ever meet, right? I mean, it's it, it's almost like plantation owners. I mean, th th to be really crass about it, right? I mean, only they're they're compensated now once they get to the NFL. But there has always been that dynamic to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not just the NFL, though. I mean, it's that's true. most pro sports. I mean, the fans are, the fans in the stands are, are, predominantly white because i mean it's certainly very expensive to go to an nba game and uh you know uh so and 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 if you go to you know major league baseball doesn't have nearly a sort of representation that the nfl and nba have but if you go to any any uh, mlb stadium in the country and it's going to be predominantly white um yeah i mean you know these folks i i think that uh, a lot of them you said they wouldn't have them over to dinner i don't know if that's necessarily the case but i <laughs> I, I think when it comes to having personal close relationships with them, the, there's often, uh, you know, you know, whether they would let these guys date their daughters, sort of, <laughs> sort of anyway. you know, like that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. I mean, uh, you know, how, how, how close are you willing, are, is a certain segment of society willing to be to another segment of society? When Colin Kaepernick took that knee to where we are today, because people bring that up, but you know, what are the connections? I mean, what, what does this all say? I think that we are clearly much more willing to discuss these issues and to have these issues out front, and um, they are not going away. It's, it's it's almost impossible. You cannot say like, you know uh, separate sports from the rest of of life really anymore. And I think Colin Kaepernick and that and those those protests and the protests all around that time and that continued have just sort of burst that bubble, burst the mythology of sports, um, that it's this sort of pure set apart world um, where, you know, it used to be that folks like myself would write about the, these sorts of things and people would just freak out that you were writing about society through sports. And now it's just commonplace. Of course, we're going to examine how our society is through one of its primary 
uh, cultural institutions, sort of the religion of our society right now is the, is the sports world. So I think that, you know, in, in some sense, in a, in a, it's again, there's nuance to it because in a very real sense, there's no there's not progress um, in that. Look at the NFL. There's three black head coaches right now. There might be some, you know, there, there's more coordinators than before and all that, but it's still a huge imbalance. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is not playing. Eric Reed is not playing. There are still players who should be playing right now, but they have been, let's just face it, they've been blackballed by the league. They're kept out of the league because of their stance. So in, you know, in one sense, we have made very little, you know, negligible progress. But in the other, in, a, in another way, we are much more able to discuss these issues. We're much more sophisticated about looking at them. They're much more part of the public dialogue. And I think that that's a super important first step. Um, change takes a long time. And uh, I, I think I think having this stuff out in the open, talking about it, hashing it out, and you know, hey, we have a super fractured society right now. That's just the way it has to be. We'll see where it, where it all ends up. People say that you know the media has a short memory. Do you think Gruden is going to resurrect himself at some point? Or do you think that guy is perpetual toast now? I mean, he's just done. <laughs> I would say never say never these days. Yeah, I, yeah it's hard to say. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine right now him, him uh, working in any sort of serious capacity with the league or I just think the uproar, or uproar would be huge. I could see him possibly, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the media sphere, maybe uh, latching on with, you know, particularly maybe some, somebody like Fox. I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and again, in the media, in the media world, it's so, um, you know, you can sort of be your own, you can have your own podcasts, you can have your own, I could see him out there doing his thing in an, in an individual way where he's sort of the boss yeah. and he would probably have a pretty big following. So it's hard to say, I think in, again, more of that kind of, kind of official capacity with the league. I'm just wondering if his ego is such that he needs that adoration because, you know, some guys would just say, okay, I've made the money. I'm just going to live my life. But if, if this guy, if, you know, he's sort of Trump like and that public adulation is something he craves, something he needs, I'm not sure because he was in the spotlight most of his career. Yeah. And it's also hard, I think, for a lot of, uh, a lot of, folks like that to really admit that they were wrong or that they, you know, that they caused any real pain or, or uh, you know, or they had any issue that sort of tend to personalities like that often, at least my, I'm, I don't really know Gruden, but those sorts of personalities in my experience, uh, they're not going to really necessarily deeply take uh, kind of self inventory and stand back and think, Oh man, I really screwed up. <laughs> they're much more inclined to say, you know, society is wrong for, for <laughs> banishing me or what. And, and, and I'm going to come back. I would think that he's going to need to do a lot of soul searching. He is a husband and a father. There's a lot there that maybe he needs to do to look at himself. I played sports. The coaches that I had growing up, you know, the types of things that, that Gruden said, they would say to us. That was a commonplace thing. I had a coach in junior high and other coaches picked up on it and they would call me Tar Baby. I hated that, but, you know, I was a what? teenager and you're under you're in this uh, environment of where you're trying to fit in and so and they also are the the leadership figures and are in some cases the father figure so you don't try to buck them anyway to me this there's something deeper about all of this that coaching and it's like being an educator in a way i mean you're leading young people 
at the professional level, people are making a lot of money. The fact that at least we're taking this on to talk about it and it's come out in such a big way, I think it needs to happen because it's very telling about our society. I mean, you have a young son. What do you tell him? Don't be like that. <laughs> well, yeah. Sports in general has its own culture and and then our and then our broader culture. But within the culture of football, of course, it's predominantly it's a very macho, tough, you know, oh, hyper macho, people. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, those kinds of things being said, I mean, in a way, it's just, yeah, it's just totally casual, throw it out. Um, let's just be real. I mean, those sorts of things get said and definitely were when we were, you know, I'm 54. So when I was growing up, absolutely. And I and, and then the race stuff that I had to deal with from, you know, from those coaches, predominantly white coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's not exactly like, you know, uh, you know, black coaches are also part of that culture. I mean, they may not be saying the exact same things, but yeah, you know, let's talk, let's say homophobia, rampant, rampant. Oh yeah. Same thing in baseball and, and the misogyny, let's face it, the misogyny is all over the place, but it just seems to me it's time to take a hard look at, at the whole coaching mentality. Coaching the whole thing, even beyond coaching. There's a whole, there is an element to sports that is extremely, um, that is extremely toxic. And it's funny, it's funny. People always say, well, you know, sports builds character and sports, you know, I want my kid to play sports because they're going to learn to be a better human. And well, not necessarily, (laughs) not necessarily. I played sports at a very serious level. You know, I was like, you know, know, high, I was a world ranked athlete. As a a tennis player. Yes. Uh, Division one athlete. And I, I mean, Absolutely. I, you know what, when I got out of, out of sports, I had to retrain myself in some of the ways that I thought because of that world. And it could be even as sort of how you're treated or how you are um, privileges that you, that you get because you're an athlete on, let's say on a big campus or any campus, you know, where you're looked up to and then, you know, and what that can do to you. It's not all <laughs> the ideal and then the myth of sports is this, is this beautiful character building thing is, I, I think that there are instances when it's that way, definitely. And there are coaches that are great teachers and there are moments and that's a big, that's a big issue. Let's bring this closer to home. So where does the Seahawks rank as far as enlightenment, the culture of the team and the spectrum of the NFL? I mean, are they kind of in the middle, are they a little bit more enlightened or just so people can relate to it, to see how the Seahawks operate versus let's say the Raiders. I would say my experience with Pete Carroll is that he is one of the most enlightened of the coaches that I've ever met in that, especially in the big time sports world. Clearly he's an out of the box thinker. You know, Pete has his critics. I think the way he goes about things in so many ways is, you know, light years ahead of the, of the old school put down people. And I think he sets the tone as far as I know with that organization. So I mean, I would put the Seahawks right up at the top, along with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Steve Kerr is another guy that I've been around a decent amount in their coaching staff. They're just a, they're just that's just sort of a cut above in terms of how they think about the about their sport and about the world. If you go to Seahawks practice, I mean, the coaches don't yell really. Pete does not want the coaches to like be yellers and screamers and berating his players. <laughs> you can make a point without dragging somebody down. I know that that's one of his tenets, and I would be surprised to see a coach, that, that old school coach yelling and screaming and putting people down. And, you know, that's just one little way. Yeah, but that's a huge thing. I mean, that's your confidence. And I think that that's an important thing, particularly in the psyche of people today. Did, do you think 
the Gruden situation and, and even these other coaches around the, the country, you know, taking positions either on whether to take the vaccine or to how they are handling a championship team and handling players that are committing sexual assaults or domestic violence, these types of things. Will it make a difference? Yes. Sometimes I think when we, we get kind of siloed or we, we drill down on these sorts of stories and we think, well, it didn't really make that much difference. But taking them, take them all together, it moves society along. You know, again, when we're talking about it, when we're thinking about it, when we're hashing it out, when we see the repercussions, Gruden has lost his job. These sorts of things matter in the in in the long run. Look back to the '60s and the Jim Owens at University of Washington had all of these run-ins with his right. black uh, player boycott at the UW football team, and Owens sort of ended up kind of hobbling through to the end of his career. Those things then end up mattering. Society takes stock of that. And it wasn't just happening in Jim Owens and the UW, but this was happening on these sorts of things were happening on campuses all over the place. This larger conversation. In the end, the wheels of change started happening. So you couldn't have these kinds of coaches like you had in the 50s that and 60s that forced, let's say, the black players to you couldn't wear an afro, you couldn't protest. Each story is a part of this of a conversation. And sometimes the I think to me, there's the progress is just nice and uphill and then things change and then sometimes it dips down a little bit, but I think we're on the right curve, and I think coaches are going to, people are going to think twice. They better think twice before they spew that kind of stuff on emails. Well, you know, to be honest, I'm glad it did come out. That attitude and those types of things have no place in sports or anyplace else. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. We really appreciate it, Kurt. Nice meeting you. Kurt Streeter, New York Times. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. We want to hear from you. Reach out to us on Twitter at Enrique Cerna and at Lofonland for me, Matt Chan. You can also email us at chinoichicano at gmail.com and check out our Chino Eat Chicano page on Facebook. Our theme music was composed and performed by Antonio Gomez. You can find the Chino Eat Chicano podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and other favorite podcast platforms. Please take a listen, download, subscribe, and give us a review. If you'd like to watch our conversations, we're posting them to YouTube. Go to search and type in Chino y Chicano. I'm Matt Chad, the Chino. I'm Enrique Cerna, the Chicano. Stay safe out there. Wear your mask in a crowd. Please get vaccinated. We'll talk more later.